you were put on earth to make a difference. Do you know that? You were put on earth to make a difference. Uh, We are not just here to consume, to breathe and eat and buy and take selfies on our smartphones. Life is more than being a consumer. Actually, you were put here not merely to get, you were put here to add to life on this earth. Each one of us are here to make a difference. And so I want you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, hopefully there'll be a red or burgundy Bible close by. And if you grab that and turn to page 1174, page 1174, you should find yourself in the book of Ephesians. And uh, we're really going to focus on one verse today, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. But I want to uh, read it in its context. Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is God's word. Well, I hope you've had a good look around our new church website. Uh, A lot of hours and time have gone into it, and I think it looks great. I think it's so much better than the uh, old website that we had. And if you look at that website, you'll see a reminder of what our mission is is about. And our mission is to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. But what does it mean to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus? Well, hopefully you've also noticed our new logo, which is four symbols um, centered around a cross, 
to visualize four steps of discipleship. And so let's do a brief recap. A Christian is someone who loves God. Not only is the great commandment that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, but actually to begin to know this God is to love God. To, to begin to get to know Him as you look at the creation and see its vastness and its beauty begins to tell you something of the amazing power of God and the, the beauty of God and His wisdom and His creativity. But on top of that, when you begin to understand this plan of salvation that he's brought about by sending his one and only son, Jesus, to die in the place of sinners, when you begin to grasp this good news about Jesus, then you begin also to understand something of God's holiness and God's love. And God's mercy and God's grace and truly to know this God is to love God. It is not only commanded, but actually it's the right thing to do and, and the natural response to how awesome he is. Well, you'll not get that unless you have come to know this God. And that's why really a key event for us uh, as disciples, is what we're doing right here and right now. That we gather Sunday by Sunday to hear God as his word is read, as it is preached. We, we gather to sing his word and to speak his word to each other so that we build each other up in our knowledge of God. And we encourage each other to keep trusting Him and keep pressing on in our lives. We gather, the Bible says in some unique way, to meet with God. And we have this privilege, as, as Matt led us a moment ago, into God's very throne room. And together, as God's people, we addressed God. We brought before Him the, our concerns, the concerns of this world. And He heard us. How incredible is that? And so for us, the key event of this loving God is this Sunday gathering, week in, week out. In a sense, it's the start of the week that starts the rest of the week. We, we say at the very beginning, uh, we are here because we love you, God, and we want to worship you in the rest of the week with the whole of our lives. And really, this sort of just kicks it off. It's the first day of the week. That's what Sunday is about. And we've organized our elders around these discipleship steps. And so uh, you've got Ian Cameron who is thinking about our praise and our worship and helping us to be a church that uh, grows in this worship and adoration of this God. We have David Patterson who's the elder who is tasked with with shepherding us as a church to help us to be growing in our dependence of God, to make sure that prayer is a, a key priority in the life of our church. And I guess my job is, to, uh, is the whole area of preaching and to ensure Sunday by Sunday in everything that we do that uh, God's word is faithfully preached and proclaimed, that, that we preach the whole counsel of God so that we have a vision of what God 
wants of our lives so that we can worship him rightly. So that's kind of how we've shaped the love part of what we do. Secondly, a Christian is someone who not only loves God, but grows in Christ-likeness, which is that lovely green tree. And um, we had one week where we considered how really it's important that we do this together. Uh, we're called to belong to Christ Church through baptism and membership. And this afternoon is the second membership class. If you didn't make it last week and you'd like to come to the second class, come and we'll do the catch-up on the first class with you. But uh, there was about 12 folk last uh, Sunday at 4.30 in the lounge. You'd be most welcome to join us later on today at 4.30 for the second part of the membership class. And last week we considered really how God has this unstoppable plan to make those who trust in Jesus become like Jesus. And so there's that great verse from Romans chapter 8. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. That's the amazing plan that he has, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So we thought last week that God's Spirit plus God's Word plus God's people, that's the together bit that we support one another in this, plus life's difficulties is what God uses to grow us in Christ-likeness. Well, that's where we've been. Really, the key event for this growing together is the, is the growth groups. And so we've kicked those off. I think over 300 people have signed up for those growth groups. Uh, so gathering uh, week by week in smaller groups so that we can read the Word of God together, study it together, and apply it to each other's lives and help each other to grow more like Christ. Uh, some people involved in growth groups, the equivalent, I guess, is the young adults' work that happens on a Wednesday night or international fellowship on a Friday night or timeout if you've got children on a Tuesday morning. But what we want to encourage every member to do, everyone who wants to be a growing disciple, is get involved, involved, it's amazing the way words come out of your mouth, isn't it? Get involved with a small group in some way. And we've got three elders who are helping, uh, helping us in this grow uh, purpose of our church. Tim Prime is a bit blurry because his picture was very small, so when I expanded it, well, I think we need to improve on that picture, Tim. It's putting children off. <laughs> Tim's job is to connect attenders to, to Christ, uh, working with Andy Amer as the, as the local mission pastor, and, and to connect them to Christ uh, so that they know the gospel, uh, they get baptized, and to connect attenders into becoming members of our church. That, that's, the, that's his job. He's, he wants to look at this congregation and think, how do we help people who've been coming along to really belong to our fellowship, to be connected to Christ and to be connected to his church. Uh, Liam has got this job of, of uh, overseeing this purpose of, of growing the members into Christ-like maturity. And uh, we've got Adam McNinch, whose role is to try and uh, strengthen our discipleship programs amongst children and young people. All right, so that's the first two uh, bits of our logo. The third bit of our logo that we're going to consider today is serve. 
See, another reason that we've been put on earth is to serve God. It goes right to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. It's our creation mandate. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God commanded his image bearers, uh, the man and the woman, to be fruitful, to increase, to subdue, to rule over uh, creation. And so mankind's been given this mandate to be stewards of God's world, to live our lives in, in a way that makes the most of his creation. And this ruling includes all of life, you know, farming, mining, science, manufacture, art, architecture, construction, medicine, politics, family life, all of life, all to be done to the glory of God. This, is, this was God's purpose from the very beginning. But on top of that, we've got a salvation mandate, as we read from Ephesians chapter 2, that we are saved to serve God. So if you've closed your Bibles, please open them back up to Ephesians chapter 2, page 1174. In the first nine verses, we learn how we are saved by God's grace. And then the final verse teaches us how we are saved for good works. Saved by God's grace, saved for good works. The Bible is clear that we do need to be saved. Because our problem is that we don't live up to our creation mandate to live for the glory of God. And Ephesians reminds us of these uh, three brutal facts about our spiritual situation. Verse 1, that we are dead. Uh, We may look very alive, rugby players running around a pitch, scholars, creative types, and yet the Bible says, apart from Christ, there is no spiritual life. We're dead, we're enslaved, verse 2 and 3. We're enslaved, it says, to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, We're enslaved to the world that we just all want to fit in. We follow, like slaves, the values and priorities of a godless society. We're slaves to the devil, described there as the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That behind the the physical scene, uh, there is an enemy who delights to spoil and destroy and lie and accuse and kill. How do you explain someone getting all those guns and walking into a school in Oregon and just start shooting people? Mental illness, I suppose you could say. It could just be that. But I think behind that, there is the evil one who delights to kill and destroy. Look at the, the tragedy in Syria. So many different forces all fighting over a land that's essentially getting destroyed. And in our prayers, we thought about the tragedy of what's happening there. Well, that's exactly the sort of thing the devil likes to do. We're dead, we're enslaved. Uh, we're, we're also people who are very focused on gratifying our own sinful desires. It says, verse 3, following uh, its desires and thoughts. That can be as much being enslaved to religious achievement as riotous living. Dead, enslaved, and finally condemned, verse 3b. We were by nature objects of wrath and then verse 4 what a wonderful verse verse 4 is despite that terrible situation that we were in because we did need to be saved but verse 4 but because of God's great love for us this God who is rich in mercy 
He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It's so vital that we get this the right way around, isn't it? We are saved by God's grace. We are not saved by good works. We're not saved by being religious. Uh, We don't think we're coming to church today to earn brownie points with God, that he's somehow impressed with our religious activities, and and that's what earns us uh, a good standing with him. No, we don't think that at all. We are not saved by good works. We're saved by his grace. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. And that's what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tells us. These good works are our service. One of the great purposes for saving us and making us spiritually alive, brand new people, his special creation, is that there are useful things that he wants you and me to do. God has uniquely designed each one of us to make a difference with our lives. I think, as I reflect on my own discipleship and my own life, there are two truths that I find quite easy to believe for other people, but I struggle to believe them for myself. And those two truths are, one, that God loves me. I find it relatively easy to believe he loves other people, but knowing myself, I struggle to believe that he actually loves me. But the Bible tells me that's true. So I have to keep reminding myself and pushing that fact deep in my head and deep in my heart. The second thing that I struggle to, uh, to believe for myself is, is chapter 2, verse 10. To, to believe that this is true for me. And so I'm going to take some time to press this point home for you, just in case you're as dense as me. Probably and you're not as dense as me, and so that's really good. But just in case you have the same affliction... If you are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, then verse 10 is true for you. You are God's workmanship. You, in all your uniqueness, in all individuality, you are God's workmanship. One of the fascinating things we learned this past week is that Wayne Rooney writes poetry. Who'd have thought? I suppose he's got a lot of time. Not a lot of time playing on the pitches there. So when he's not working out in the gym and running on the pitch for Manchester United, he writes poetry for his wife, Colleen. Isn't that nice? Well, the Greek word translated workmanship here is the word from which we derive our English word poem. What is a poem? A poem is something that is especially crafted to express a very particular point, often in an evocative and often in a beautiful way. That's what a poem is. And you are God's thought-out, handcrafted work of art. Yes. It's hard to believe, isn't it? It is for me anyway. But it's true. Each one of us. You are not an assembly line product. There's no two people in this room that look exactly the same or are exactly the same. In fact, you know, when he he made you, he he actually broke the mold. There, There really is no one else like you. 
in the ways that he created you. He personally put you together, the Bible says. It says this in Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. More than that, he has planned every detail of your life. Verse 16 of that same psalm. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God does not waste anything in our lives. He wouldn't give you your abilities, your interests, your talents, your gifts, your personality, your life experience, unless he intended that you should use them for his glory. Nothing is wasted. And in addition to your natural gifts and talents, uh, when he made you born again, when he made you his special creation in Christ, he gave you spiritual gifts to be used in ministry. Little side note here, um, we often use this phrase, uh, you know, when did you go into the ministry, as if there's some special class of person, some pastor or minister. Well, the word minister just merely means servant, serving. And it's not just pastors and ministers who are called to ministry. All Christians are called into ministry. Do you know what? We're all called to be full-time Christians. You're all called to be ministers. When you're part of his a new creation when you're in Christ, he's actually gifted and equipped you to be involved uh, in ministry. It's not a special class of person who does that. We all have different gifts. We all have different ways that we can serve all God-given spiritual gifts. We don't get to choose them, by the way. It's what God gives us. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11, it says this, All these, referring to these gifts, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, And he gives them to each one just as he determines. And these gifts are given to us uh, not for ourselves. They're given to us in order to help and build up Christ's church. So 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The common good of the body of Christ. God has planned it so that actually we need each other. No one person has all the gifts. And when we use all our gifts together, we all benefit. And if others don't use their gifts, then we are cheated. And if you don't use your gifts, they get cheated. That's kind of how it works. And so the question I want to ask you is, have you taken time to discover and develop your spiritual gifts? What's the best way of doing that? Well, the best way of doing that, I think, is really just to try serving in different ministries. Throw yourself into where there's help needed and get stuck in. And speak to the leader and say, I'm trying to discover what my gifts are. You would really help me if you could tell me what you think I'm good at and what you think I'm not so good at. And get that feedback. There are courses that you can do where you can go through tick box questionnaires and, and surveys. And that, that there's, those are helpful to a point. But they're only helpful to the, to the degree that you have some life experience where you've tried different things. And people have, asked, uh, people have given you honest feedback. 
So if you want honest feedback, you have to say to the leader, look, I'm not fishing for a compliment here. I want you to be really honest. If I can't sing, tell me I can't sing. If I can't hit the drum uh, in a consistent manner, tell me so I can do something more useful. If I, you know, uh, whatever the area of serving is. Um, don't think of it um, as failure if someone says, you know, why don't you try this instead? It's an, ex- just say, it's an experiment. Oh, that experiment didn't work. Let's go on to the next one. Let's try, let's try something else. David Armstrong is the elder uh, who's seeking to shepherd our flock with this step in mind of helping members get into ministry, helping people find a slot that's good for them. I think this is a big area that we need to develop as a church. It's one of our big undeveloped areas. Um, I've known some people who uh, felt so stuck in the area of ministry that they were doing they felt they had to go and look for another church rather than look to swap. And we don't want that. If people are frustrated and they're in an area which is not a good fit for them, we'd rather they put their hand up and say, do you know what, uh, I, really, I, really, I really want to try something different. It would just be wonderful to have a church where every member was just involved in one area that they could joyfully give themselves to and serve so that the body could work well as a whole. That's what we believe is healthy discipleship. That's what the Lord wants and that's what we want to see coming about. And you can pray for David as basically he's got, almost got a blank canvas to work out how to do this. If you've got some great ideas, uh, go and chat to David. I'm sure he would love to hear those ideas from you. One of the things that Matt Round did uh, for the young people was to run vision clinics. Uh, an individual was interviewed to help them think about their what they were passionate about, what their talents were, what their experiences were, and to help them work out how they you could uniquely live their life for the glory of God and for the extension of Christ's kingdom. Is that what you did, Matt? Is that right? It's about right? So maybe, maybe that's an area that David could do for the whole church. It'd be great almost to do a vision clinic for every single member to say, hey, let's just think about your life up to now. There you are, David, I've just filled up your diary for about six years, I think. Uh, but wouldn't it be great to just reflect on our experience up to now and think, okay, which way has God uniquely made me and structured me so that actually this is an area where I could really be fruitful and, and, and get serving? When we forget that God's gifts are given to us to serve others, we can get into all sorts of problems. Uh, when we think our gifts are about me feeling fulfilled, me getting some, you know, back slapping, we've misunderstood what gifts are about. And uh, there's two ways we can go on this. We can suffer gift envy, where we compare our gifts with others and uh, we feel dissatisfied by what God gives us and we become resentful or jealous of how God uses other people. Well, that's a problem, and that's misunderstanding why God has given us gifts. The second problem we can get into is gift projection, where we basically expect everyone else to have exactly the same gifts and temperament that we have. And so we get so frustrated that people aren't equally as passionate about our area as we are. And you think, all these other people are slackers. Why aren't they doing my area? Well, because actually, God has given different gifts 
different passions, different areas that he wants to serve in. And the wonderful thing is that he, he's put us in this body that together we would complement each other's gifts. We need the variety of gifts. If the body was just a liver, what would it be? A liver wouldn't be a body, would it? You, 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 and it's helpful to have some hands and some eyes. And, uh, and uh, there was a great quote one of the elders said at the retreat. I can't remember. Actually, it wasn't in my notes. Something like, if the eye thinks it's a foot, all it's going to see is a sock or something like that. <laughs> no? I've got it wrong. If all you wear was an eye... That's fine, it doesn't matter. Anyway, <laughs> Barry's got the quote. Was it Tom Lawson? It's a Tom Lawson quote, isn't it? Tom said it in a sermon a long time ago. Anyway, you can ask Tom for the full quote. But you get the point. Back on track. The Lord has put us together as a variety of people with a variety of gifts that we would work together for the good of this body. My Christian friends, each one of us is God's workmanship. Each one of us is God's handcrafted workmanship. And really, rather than getting involved with sort of gift envy or gift projection, we should accept and enjoy who God has made us to be. I'm going to tell you something really profound here. Only you can be you. Do you know that? There's no one who's going to do you better than you. So be thankful to God for who you are and and recognize that he is worthy of your full-out, full-on service. Isn't he? He's worthy of you giving your best to him. Don't worry about comparing yourself to other people. There's always people who've got better gifts than you or can do things better than you, don't worry about that. You serve God with all that you've got, the best that you can, and don't worry. Trust him. He can use you. He chose to make you. He wants to use you. You are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. And do you see that third part of the logo? That's not a hand for money, by the way. We thought two hands looked like service. You see, if we thought one hand, we thought that'd be looking for money, but actually two hands are about service. Do you get the symbolism there? It's a remind us that we are here to serve Christ's church. If we, if we just flick over to Ephesians chapter 4, It's a wonderful continued application of this. It tells us that we are all part, verse uh, 4, of one body, that there's one spirit who's at work. We're called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. And yet it tells us to each one of us, Christ has given us individual and specific gifts. In verse 11, he is given some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Now, why does he give evangelists, pastors, and teachers? To prepare God's people, verse 12, for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. 
We need each other to do those works he's given us to do so that this body may be built up, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith. We can't do this on our own. We have to do this together until we all reach unity in the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Wouldn't that be an amazing church? Tell you what, if you're in Edinburgh, you go to that Charlotte Chapel because that is a church that is um, mature and is kind of, you just get the sense of Christ, that the Lord Jesus is present in all his fullness when you're there because there's a church of individuals who use their gifts for the glory of God and for the good of others to serve Christ's church. Look at verse 16 of chapter 4. From him... The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Each part does its work. So, are you serving? Are you someone who comes on a Sunday expecting to be served? But who doesn't serve? Or do you come with a servant mindset? How can I help? How can I serve? What can I do? I think Miriam Hughes was telling me that we don't have anyone to do the tea and coffee this morning, so there's a real practical way. We only need, I mean, if if 200 people turned up, we've got a problem. But uh, we could do with a few people helping out some tea and coffee this morning. Is that right, Miriam? Yeah? Okay. It, it, do you like tea and coffee? It's quite nice, isn't it? Well, maybe you need to help serve it so other people can have some tea and coffee this morning. You get the idea. Come and chat with David Armstrong about where you could serve. Um, let me tell you about the two other elders in serve. You can pray for Barry Sprott as he helps us to uh, be a loving and caring church. There was a strong theme there of this of this loving community working together. And Barry's got that role as a shepherd to, to help us to be a loving, caring church. And you could pray too for Graham Watson as the chair of the elders as he plays an important role of leading the elders in our discussions and directions as we do that together as lead pastor and chairman of the elders. What's my main point? Here it is. Next screen. We are... God's workmanship. Isn't that amazing? Every person around you is precious. An image bearer of God, the trust in Christ, someone who has been created in Christ Jesus as his special workmanship. And we're going to work together to see this church grow up into maturity in Christ. To his praise and glory. How cool is that. Let's pray.